You are listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Visit us online at rolcf.org. Today's episode features Dr. John Holler from Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. I want to talk to you about faith today. That's all I ever talk about, really. But uh, I, I read the Bible. I read the Bible, and it just seems to be everywhere. You know, I, I, I looked up my favorite subject one time. My favorite subject was love years and years ago. 220 times the subject of love is in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. The subject of faith is in there nearly 500 times. God talks about faith more than twice the amount of time He talks about love in the New Testament. I thought, well, maybe I ought to do what the Bible does, emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. And I got on a kick of telling everybody they need to repent. Repentance, repentance, repentance. It was, it was my big subject for a while. And I did the same thing. I looked at it. It's only in the New Testament 60 times. <laughs> faith is in there nearly 10 times as many times as, as repentance is. Well, maybe I, ought to, maybe I ought to talk a little bit more about faith. And I looked up every subject I could find. And faith just beat them all. I mean, even love, it was more than twice. I mean, it, the, the subject of faith is everywhere in the New Covenant. I said, you know, I don't, I don't, think, I'm, I don't think I'm that heavy-handed with it. I'm not as heavy-handed as the Bible is. I need, I need to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. So that's little by little, the Lord just kind of pulled me that direction the more I kept studying the book. I went to other books, and they, they weren't the same. You know what I'm talking about? I read the book that Brother Smellfungus wrote. Y'all know Brother Smellfungus? He's that guy has got all those letters after his name. Y'all know him. He's, a, he's every theologian in the world thinks he knows something. I read all their books, and, and for two weeks I'd believe what he said, and then I'd read the Bible again find out, well, he was messed up. <laughs> you know, so I just quit reading all that junk. I mean, they made me read it. You know, you don't get a doctorate without reading books. And I, I had to read all kinds of things. That mostly I've just been, I've spent the last eight or ten years trying to forget most of it because I, I want to I know what the Word of God actually says. And uh, anybody in the house with me? And I'm not putting, putting down an education. You need an education. If you can, if you can get an education, get all you can get. But uh, make sure that you, your education is not lacking in the Word of God. I'm always shocked when I, when I come across the game show Jeopardy. At least I haven't seen it in many, many years because it comes on when I'm working. But, uh, but I used to see it from time to time. And, and I was always shocked at, at these guys could tell you which French philosopher had the greatest impact on Great Britain's uh, third renaissance. <laughs> I mean, they, they knew these things. But the Bible column, they left it alone until they were forced to go. How many disciples did Jesus have? I don't know, 77? <laughs> I mean, they had no earthly idea about any of it. My, 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 my nine and ten year old children said, I go, 12? Go, go Bible 500. Go, go for it. And these guys were terrified of the Bible. They knew everything about everything. Eggheads like crazy. Didn't know the Bible. Had me ever know what I'm talking about? You ever noticed that? Didn't know the Bible. They were, they were educated fools to know everything there is to know about everything and don't know what God says. Hey, that's not just on Jeopardy. I find that in church. It's okay if it's on Jeopardy, but it's a shame when it's in the house of God. My wife sends her greetings and her love. She loves you. She loves this church. She especially loves Blackie and Mary Lou Garrett here, our longtime friends, members of our church, and McKinney. And just, you know, I've been here, I don't know how many times I've preached here now. And we've never had a call for healing. I'm not saying you don't do it when I'm not here. I'm just saying when I was here, we've never had a call for healing. And and Miss Mary Lou, I talked to Blackie this morning. He said, Miss Mary Lou's not been feeling well. I don't think we're going to go out to eat with you. She, he said, but we're going to come to church. And she hasn't been feeling well for a week or so. And then we got a call for healing today. I just, God brought you here, dear sister. I, I love this. These are some of the best people on the planet right here. And uh, glad you came today. Lord knows what you need. But my wife sends greetings and uh, just to let you know, she's still, she's still feisty as she can be. She, she is, uh, you know, I, I kid her about being German and me having to give this salute sometimes. Uh, the other day she said to me, you know about that? She, she said to me the other day, John, if you knew how and when you were going to die, would you want to know? 
I said, no. She said, well, never mind then. Uh, so, <laughs> just don't mess with the German girl. But she sends her greetings and love. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance. Did you know faith is a substance? Now this chair right here is substantial. That is, it has substance to it. Everything we see, the earth is a substance. All the substances we have and that we know, I mean, your body is a substance. It, it is substantial. We, we, we have another term for it, tangible, tactile. You can touch it. You can experience it in a physical and natural way. It is a substance. The Bible says faith is the substance of things you're hoping for. Now let's get this straight. Hope is always ahead of you somewhere. Any Dallas Cowboy fans in here? Let me see the Dallas Cowboy fans. I'm going to put you on my prayer list. I love them. I love them, man. I love them. I can't even say Washington Redskins without spitting. I can't say it without spitting. I just can't do it. I, I'm a Cowboy fan to the core. I love the Dallas Cowboys. I always have. I always will. If I moved to Washington, I would, I would still root for the Cowboys. <laughs> That's just me. But I don't hope they win the Super Bowl last year. Do you hope they win last year? Now, silly, isn't it? You can't hope for what's behind you. Too late. Hope doesn't work in the reverse. Hope works out there in front of you. Faith, then, is the substance of things you're hoping for. So they work together. Hope's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Get your hopes up. Amen. But I'm going to talk to you today about how to activate it and get it out of that invisible future realm of hope into the substance of things hoped for. What faith is. First of all, faith is the substance of your future. Faith is the substance of, a of your future. And everyone in this room has a future. You have a future, and God has a future planned for you. He said, I know the things I have planned for you, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts I have for you, the plans I have for your future. Thoughts of good and not evil. See, God's thinking good things about you. He's not waiting on you, as I was raised in a Pentecostal church over, West, over here in Love County, and I got the idea somehow, and I'm not saying my preacher did this, but I just got the idea somehow, it's probably my mama, uh, got the idea somehow that God was just waiting for me to mess up. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? I mean, your mama, she'll use that Ten Commandments on you like a hammer, whack, thou shalt not, whack, you know? just to try to keep you in line. And I was so rebellious, I needed it, you know. But I mean, I got the idea that God was so holy that He was just waiting for me to do something wrong because he, I was so despicable in His sight. That's just how I felt. I was just so despicable in His sight that if, you know, you bet, man, uh, you do that, I'm going to... Mm, he had this just ready-to-kill-you attitude. Hand me a lightning bolt. Two! It's John Holler. I need two of them. Again. You know what I'm talking about. We're just layered with this guilt, with this condemnation, with this, this, this unholy irreverence for ourselves. Because the preacher wanted us to know how holy God was. What we really missed out on oftentimes was how humble he became. That he humbled himself. We always known he was holy, too holy for us to know. What we didn't know was how much he really loved us and how humbled he made himself so that we could relate to him. Hmm. I, I didn't have a chance of relating to God. I mean, I didn't even like my older brother, much less somebody beyond him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I had a difficult time with all authority for a while. 
It seemed like all authority wanted to do was just straighten me out. I mean, this is the human condition. God says, you see that tree over there? I don't want you eating from that tree. No eating from that tree. You can have everything else you want. Anything else you want. You can have everything. The whole world belongs to you. I'll give you dominion over everything. You can eat every fish that's in the sea. Kill every animal and eat them. They're all yours. For those of you who are vegetarians, and I don't mean to hurt your feelings any, but you say, well, we weren't made to eat meat. Listen, see these teeth right here? These are canine teeth. They're made for tearing meat. We didn't evolve into this. Adam had them. All right. Praise God. What would Greg do without meat for Pete's sake? I mean, <laughs> you see that tree? Don't eat that tree. Don't eat anything from it. It was just one simple law. Adam caught Eve looking at it one day, so he elaborated. Now, the, this isn't in the Bible, but he, somehow she, she elaborated on that law <clears throat> when she said it back to the devil, to the, to the serpent. Ser, serpent came and said, Hath God said, You shall not eat of the tree? Well, he, what he really said was, We can't eat of it nor even touch it. God never said that. This was Adam laying more law on her because apparently she liked the way it looked because they did say, Oh, that tree is really good to look at. It said it was good to look at. That's what the scripture said about the tree. And the fruit, it looked good. How many of you have ever gotten in trouble because something looked good? <laughs> Come on, guys, raise your hand, you know. <laughs> Women, they, they stand in front of that mirror for a reason all that time. Putting all that on, you know. Fluffing all that up because they want to, what do they want to do? Look good. They want to look good. Because what something looks like is what normally draws us into it. Food, oh, that looks good. They put a plate of food. Well, I want you to know that you can make really horrible tasting pretty food. I've had some of it. I learned it doesn't matter how pretty that plate is. It can make anything look good. Praise God. Even your mother-in-law, if she works hard enough at it, she can look good. <laughs> now I'm meddling, I know. <laughs> I don't know if I told you all this, but I heard one guy say, he said, I was having conflicting feelings over it all. You know, it's like that feeling that you get when your mother-in-law drives over a cliff in your new car. <laughs> anything can, I mean, anything can look good. That tree looked good to them, and it, that look was what got them. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Faith is a substance of your future. It's about where you're going, not about where you've been. I thought about this an awful lot. I looked, up, I looked up these facts in the Scriptures. The number one most often mentioned given name in Scripture is Jesus, in the New Testament is Jesus. Would anybody want to take a guess at what the second most mentioned given name is in the New Testament? Mary is a good guess, but that's not exactly right. Peter is a good guess, but that's not exact. Huh? David. David's close, but it's not David. Satan, Paul, no. John. All wonderful guesses. See, these are guesses that I would have guessed. Moses is the second most often mentioned name in the New Testament. That's a pretty cool name, if you ask me. In fact, in English it comes out good. I don't know why they didn't name Messiah Moses. Moses Messiah. Eminem. I mean, he could have been a rap star. <laughs> Moses Messiah with that kind of alliteration. But they, didn't name, they did not name the Christ child Moses, did they? I wonder why. They named him after Moses' successor, Joshua. Jesus is the same name as Joshua. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. Yeshua. 
Hmm. And it means the Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. Wow. Think about that. They could have named him Moses, but they didn't. It's, it's a big name. Moses is a big name in the Bible. It's the second biggest name in the New Testament. But he's not named Moses. He's named Joshua. He's named Jesus. Do you know why? It's a good thing to know where you came from, but God did not want you spending the rest of your life. See, Moses means drawn out. And that was his whole life. His name was drawn out. He was drawn out of the water. And therefore, his whole mission in life was to draw Israel out of bondage, out of, Israel, out, out of Egypt. Joshua's name didn't mean drawn out. It meant the Lord saves, but not just saves from something. Joshua's mission in life was to take them in. Joshua's mission in life was to take them in. So his name had us thinking and is meant to have us thinking about where we're going. Again, not about where we've been, but where we're going. Faith in Jesus means you're going somewhere. Glory to God. It means you're going somewhere. And faith is the substance of the things you're hoping for where you're going. Glory to God. That's why his name is Jesus and not Moses. I'm going somewhere. And this message is too. Just stay with me. Faith is a substance. That is, it is a tangible reality. And I know what it means. A tangible reality. When faith is at work in your heart, you know it. Hope out there kind of makes you flutter. I'm just, I'm just trying to appeal to your inner man just for a moment. When you're hoping for something, are you sure of it? No, no. Oh, hope, I hope. Hope is a good thing, but it's still, there's this flutter room inside. But when you have faith in God, you know it. Faith is a full assurance. Let me just put it like this. F-A-I-T-H. I had a woman from Barbados. She knew I was a faith guy. She says, Pastor John, do you know how to spell faith? I said, F-A-I-T-H. She said, no, F-A-I-T-H, fully anticipating it to happen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. My mother and my wife were in a car, and old Highway 77 goes right up through my little hometown over there in Love County. It kind of meanders up through there toward Ardmore. Y'all ever hear of Ardmore? Yeah. It's where all of my kids were born. Carter County. They were headed up old Highway 77, not taking the freeway, the interstate. My wife was going in, and she, we weren't living for the Lord at the time. I, she was expecting our first child, and we were still doing the rock and roll thing and running from God. And my mom was driving the car, and she used to spook my wife so badly because God talked to her, and she'd just talk about it. The Lord just spoke to me and would go, ooh, that gives me the creep. She's raised. She's raised. She was raised in a church where they didn't allow anything, even music. And I'm not going to tell you what church it was, but they had no music. I mean, hope you all don't figure that out. But anyway, she, she wasn't used to people saying God spoke to me, you know. My mom was very prophetic. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should, have, you should have known me as a kid been praying for me. You can't get away with nothing when you got a prophetic mother. I'm telling you. It's... John, what are you doing? I'm, nothing, Mama, really. I was always doing something. We were driving along there. She was driving along there with my wife. And the Spirit of the Lord gave my mom an open vision. While she's driving the car, she just had that vision. She saw a horse jump out of the back of a pickup. Not a trailer, a pickup with had, had big sideboards on it. Horse just jumped out right in front of them. There was no pickup. No pickup truck, no, no horse. No sideboards, no nothing. They're driving along. There. And my mother said, I have to slow down, Ann. She said, why? I got a doctor's appointment. She said, I know, but I have to slow down. The Lord just, get, Lord just showed me something. She said, there's danger ahead. She said, I, I, saw, I, I saw some danger. I don't, I don't want to scare you. I'm just telling you, I got to slow down. 
well, that scared her, you know. <laughs> what is it? She said, well, it's it got to do with a horse. Just, just, just be praying. And Anne's going, she didn't know how to pray, you know, really. She just, okay, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Mama driving along there speaking in tongues, you know. She was driving real slow. Drive about two miles. Little town over there called Greenville with a little school and just got around the curves and headed on the straightway up toward Overbrook, big city. And uh, just before they got to Overbrook, a pickup came over the hill with sideboards and a horse in the back. And the horse jumped out of the pickup, landed in the road right out there in front of my mother, just like that, just like she'd seen. Amazing. Amazing. That God can talk to people and folks can hear the voice of God. But let me say to you, just because you get a word doesn't mean that your future is sealed. God has been speaking words to people for years. Only those who will act on them, who will say them, who will believe them, let, have their lives move in the direction of that word spoken. Only those who will... <sighs> Do you know how long Abraham had had the promise that he was going to have a son? Over 20 years. We know for sure he had, he had that promise for 20 years. It might have been as many as 25 or 6 years. God had been saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you children. They're going to come from this woman you're married to. This old woman? Yeah, this woman right here. Well, how about that cute little handmaid she's got? No, this woman here. Okay. You're going to have children by Sarah, a son. Okay. 20 years God kept saying it. He said it five years. He said it 10 years. He said it 15 years and still got no children. He said it 20 years and got no children. Maybe more than 20 years, no children. Then one day God comes, comes to Abram and says, <clears throat> Abram, I'm going to change your name. I want you to be called Abraham. That means father of a multitude of nations. That's what I have in mind, and that's what I've been saying. Now I need you to say it. Okay, I'm father of a multitude of nations. From now on, you don't let anybody call you anything but Abraham. You are Avram. Okay, I'm Abraham, father of a multitude of nations. Three months later, Sarah conceived. Nine months later, a full year after he started saying it, he had that baby. It wasn't about God saying it. It was about Him saying it. Three months it took she conceived. Twenty years. Now they've been sleeping together. You understand this? They've been, they, they, Abraham been doing it. He said that Sarah was a beautiful woman. They've been sleeping together. Twenty years. And it didn't work. You get that word in your mouth. God can say it all He wants to. But when you get that word in your mouth, that's when things begin to change. Amen. 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 It's good news right there. It's the substance of your future. Your faith is. Faith only works with respect to the present and the future. The only reason we can believe the past stories about the Bible is because Jesus is alive today. It's not a history book. Jesus is alive today mediating this will that was written on your behalf. Hallelujah. He's not a used-to-be God, not a once-was God, not a hope-it'll-happen God, not a voice from the past He's the God who is right now, ever-present, ready to help. Our prophet, by the way, is not dead. All the other prophets are dead. Our prophet is not dead. Glory to God. He's alive and speaking today. Everything he promised then, he's backing up right now with his presence at the right hand of the Father. Now take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We said that faith is the substance of your future. I want you to know that faith comes by constantly hearing the Word of God. The Word of the Gospel of Peace, which is the Word of God. Faith comes by constantly hearing the Word of God. You cannot grow in faith if you continually hear the opposite of faith. If you constantly hear that which is against your faith. And I'll tell you something, I have to, I have to monitor myself on this. Because I like Fox News. I don't like the others, but I like that one. I guess that tells you a little bit about me. I like that one, but it, but it makes me mad half the time because I feel like they get into fear-mongering 
I mean, the others are worse, but, but sometimes they get into fear-mongering. It just goes on and on and on and on until I feel myself getting all tense. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? It just gets, it just gets to warring, warring against your faith and making you think that Washington and the politics of the, uh, of the world is what's in control. I have news for you, and I have news for Fox News and every other news outlet. God is in control in my life, and it does not matter who they say or what they say is in charge or what they say is going to happen. God is in charge if I say He is. Now listen, you, you can't just say, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. God's in charge. No, 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 no. God's in charge when you use your own voice, when you use your own words, when you use the own actions of your life to put Him in charge. God has, has placed in the earth an embassy, if you will. We are Christ's ambassadors. And what an ambassador is, the Bible teaches us this, that we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says it just like that. We are, the, therefore, the church is an embassy of God. And what an embassy is in, in, the, in the natural world, an embassy is a piece of land owned with a building, owned and with its, with its inhabitants, owned by another nation. We have embassies all over the world, and inside that embassy compound, that nation where it is located is not in charge. The, the nation where it came from, the United States of America, is in charge inside that piece of land. Amen. And that, that ambassador, the dictionary defines him like this, as the highest ranking official sent from one nation or government to represent it in another. The highest ranking official sent from one nation or government to represent it in another. If you are an ambassador of Christ, what that means is you are God's highest ranking official. Hallelujah. Sent from the nation and government of heaven to represent heaven here in this nation and government of earth. Glory be to God. There is no power as far as God is concerned with greater authority, greater understanding of His government and the way He works things, the way He does things, the way He operates. There is no one except His own embassy, the church of the living God. Come on, you ought to look at the person sitting next to you and say, you really somebody. Amen. Amen. But you can't grow in faith unless you're hearing faith. I, I remember when Ann and I first came into the things of God, they told us, oh, I feel sorry for your kids. I actually had a barber tell me that. Took my two little boys, Eric and Brandon, took them into the barber shop. And that old barber, his name was Bert in Gainesville, Texas. And Bert was cutting our hair. He's passed away now, so that's why I use his name. He, he was a nice guy, but, you know, just negative. And he, he was cutting their hair. He said, so what are you doing, Mr. Holler? I said, well, I'm working on the railroad, but I'm going into the ministry. He said, oh, no, oh, no. I said, no, it's a good thing, Bert. He said, well, I ain't against you going into the ministry, and I ain't against God or the church or none of that, like some people are. He said, I'm okay with that. I was raised in church. He said, but I just feel sorry for your little old kids. I said, what for? He said, don't you know the reputation of preacher's kids? They're all stinkers. <laughs> preacher's kids are just bad, bad, bad to the bone. I said, no, well, you know, I, I never believed that they were bad to the bone until I met this girl right here. But uh, until then, <laughs> no, but, <laughs> preacher's kids, preacher's kids have a bad rap, I think, get a bad reputation. Ann and I just said, we're not going to have that. And I told him that. I said, none of my kids won't be that way. He said, well, that's what they all say. I said, my kids will not be that way. And we, we just made up our minds that we weren't going to raise typical PKs. We're going to raise PKs, all right, but they're going to be promise keepers, praise God. Amen. Amen. And to this day, all of my children are in full-time ministry. All of them, so two of them are senior pastors. The other's on staff. Amen. You can raise godly children. Amen. What, what preachers tend to do, what, what ruins kids oftentimes in a preacher's home is a preacher, he tends to take their side because people hold high standards for the kids, higher standards. They expect more out of the preacher's kid than they do others. And so the preacher sort of defends his kids and winds up stinking, spoiling them stinking rotten. My kids would come home, Dad, they expect more of us. I said, so do I. Do you want a beating over it or not? 
Oh, no, everything's fine. Heck, yeah. I said, the reason they expect more of you is because God put you in this family and God knew you were better than everybody else. I mean, that's the way I talk to my kids. <laughs> apparently, apparently, you got what other kids don't have. You got the ability to be, to be bigger. You got the ability to be stronger. You got the ability to live right. That's why God put you in this family. I never, I never gave them slack at all over that. Made them rise up to the challenge. See, if you, you defend your kids when they don't need defending, you mess them up real bad. If every time the teacher hulls them out, you run up there to the school and hull the teacher out, you're setting your kids up for failure is what you're doing. You're setting your kids up from, for back-talking their boss because they don't know how to take orders. They back-talk that boss, they're going to back-talk the next one and the next one and the next one. Pretty soon, nobody will hire them. I'm preaching really good right here. It got awful quiet. I don't know why it got so quiet in Oklahoma. Right here in the Bible Belt, it got quiet talking about raising kids right. Praise God. Well, I have people challenge me sometimes, say, oh, but that won't, yeah, that'll work. You, you have no idea how strong-willed my kids were. That Eric Holler, the pastor, I hate to say this about him, but man, when he was five years old, he was like a devil. <laughs> that kid was so strong-willed, I couldn't hardly keep, I mean, it was all we could do just to stay sane. He was a rough kid. You know, he's a natural man. And he's a natural man. He was just as strong-willed as any kid I'd ever seen. Had to whip, I, I, I almost just started whipping him when I wake him up. Just wake him up and whip him just because I knew he was going to need it in a few minutes. <laughs> they also told us, you know, coffee is bad for Oh, coffee is so bad for When I, I read Prevention Magazine, I used to prescribe, subscribe to, to, to uh, Prevention Magazine. Everything's bad for you, you know. And they said, they said coffee is, you know, bad for you, bad for you, bad for you. Well, now they're calling it a health drink. Smells the same. Smells just like it used to. When it was bad for you, I don't know what the deal is. Tastes just as bad as it used to, but the, now it's good for you. It used to be bad for you. See, men are always trying to find the truth because they won't listen to the truth. We got saved, Ann and I, we started going. I'm giving you little pieces of our testimony. We got saved. We went to church three times a week at our church, but that wasn't enough because we were voracious for the Word because we knew somebody had told us you got to get the word in you if you're going to have faith working in you. So we went Sunday morning, Sunday night at our church. We found another little Pentecostal church across the river over in Gainesville, and we went over there. They had Tuesday night services. So we went to church over there on Tuesday night. Drag our little family in there, you know, and sit down and listen to that little <laughs> Pentecostal wild man just go nuts, you know. He, 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 we thought we were Pentecostal. This guy was the real deal. And I mean, he just, <laughs> you know, the whole time played his guitar we were real loud and sang, you know, we just loved him. And uh, he, he, he preached on Tuesday nights, and then we'd go back to our church on Wednesday nights, and we'd go back over there because he had a Friday night service. He did Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, and Friday night. So we, did, so we did Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday night in, in Oklahoma, Tuesday night in Texas, Wednesday night in Oklahoma, Friday night in Texas, and back, back Sunday morning. We went five times a week for several years, hardly ever missed a service, but it did something for us. It changed us. It did something for us. It got to where it got, it, it made me so that I couldn't hardly open my mouth out quoting a scripture. I just quote the Bible all the time. I still do. I talk about Jesus all the time. It's all I care to talk about. I didn't have to ask any of my low-life friends to leave. <laughs> I didn't have to run one of them off. All I did was, yeah, come on in this house, man. Do I have something to tell you? You ain't going to believe what happened to Holler. Yeah. Yeah, they just quit coming. I quit buying beer, quit buying all the stuff, and having all the parties and, you know, being like we were. I just, I just quit. I mean, I'm the guy that had the money because I worked for the Santa Fe Railroad. None of them had real jobs. <laughs> you know, so I <laughs> had money. And they, uh, so uh, I was fun as long as I was spending my money on them. And, but when I started talking to them about Jesus, I'd have one good conversation with, with them. And then they quit calling, quit coming. And I heard they were talking about me up in town. That holler, he done went and got religion. I mean, he's a fanatic. Well, I've always been fanatical about everything I loved. I'm fanatical about my grandkids. Just ask me. I double-dog dare you. Let's get started on that subject right now. I got ten of them. I was down there at school the other day, and some, a student walked up to me and said, Dr. Holler, it's Christmas time. You getting excited about Christmas? I said, I stay excited about Christmas. I got ten grandchildren, and Christmas is awesome at my house with ten grandbabies. She said, you have ten grandchildren? Do you have any great-grandchildren? I said, no, but thanks for asking. 
How old do I look, really, George? Be honest. <laughs> Jesus came into our lives. It changed everything. He just changed everything. We couldn't get over him. Still not over him. I've met a lot of great people in my life. Met a lot of influential people, wealthy people. I have close friends who are extremely wealthy and influential. I was, on, I was on a first name basis with a woman who was on a first name basis with the most powerful man in the world. Miss Frieda Lindsay was on a first name basis with George Bush. She was invited to everything he ever was inaugurated into, his gov gubernatorial uh, inaugurations, his presidential, and she went. And she would, she would talk to him about Israel. She, anytime somebody at the, at the table, she was at a, some kind of big meeting one time they had, and some, some lunatic was putting down Israel, you know. And, and George was being really kind and looking and nodding. And she went, <coughs> <laughs> and he looked over at her and she went, <laughs> you just smile. You can see Mrs. Lindsay doing that. I mean, she was just quite, I mean, I mean I've, I've, I've been privy and, and close to many influential people in my life. But none of them have ever impacted me that I couldn't get over it. When Jesus came into my life, I was just unable to recover. <laughs> he will change things for you that nobody else can change. He'll change things for you that you can't change because he carries with him miracle power. When he comes in, things just change for the better. Amen. Can I have a good amen in this house of faith today? Take, take your Bible quickly, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up here in just a few moments. How to... Activate your faith. Let's talk about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. I love this passage of Scripture. How to activate your faith. 2 Corinthians 4 13 says, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. We already talked about this just a little bit. I believed, therefore have I spoken. We also believe. And therefore, speak. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, but you don't really activate your faith until you say it. Tell you how powerful your confession is, and that's what I want to say to you. Faith is activated by your confession. Uh, we tend to use the terms doubt and unbelief as synonyms, but they are not synonymous. They're related, but they're not the same thing. Doubt and unbelief are different in this respect. How many of you in the room have ever had a doubt? Come on. And the rest of you are lying. Everybody has doubts. Everyone has doubts. You've doubted this or you've doubted that. We've all doubted because doubt is carried in the voices of the demonic realm. Now, don't get, don't get terrified. Yeah, demons came to church today. They always do. They kind of float around. And there's far more demons at church than there are at the cemetery. Because <laughs> they need warm bodies to help them. They don't hang out at cemeteries. I don't care how many horror movies there are. Demons are not hanging out at cemeteries. In fact, that's why that demonized guy... That's why he ran to the cemetery. He was looking for clear air. He had a thousand demons in him, and he was just trying to get... You know, he still had charge of his feet. He could go where he wanted to. And the proof of that is when Jesus got off the boat and, and landed on the shore of Gennesaret, well, well this, demon, this demonized guy, he starts running toward him. And the demons in him are going, Ah! They're terrified. Ah! But this guy found even clearer air than the cemetery when he saw Jesus. There were no demons around him except the ones he was carrying toward him. Demonized people, no matter how badly they're demonized, they still have control of their feet. They still have some control about where they're going to be. And he ran to Jesus with the demons screaming in terror of him. No hiding from Jesus. He, they knew he knew. They knew that he knew. And they just begged for mercy. Have you come to torment us before our time? Right? Remember the conversation? So, so this guy, he, he was looking for clear air and I told you that for a reason 
Jesus cast the devil out, cast the devils out of him with his word, and he sat up, and he was. That's why the girl. That's why the girl in Acts chapter sixteen was following Paul around, right? And the demons thought they could fool Paul, so they were going, "These men are the most high servants of the Most High God." They were trying to fool Paul and thinking that they were on his side. And this girl, she was just looking for clear air. So demonized. You activate your faith by what you say. If you keep saying, I always get a cold this time of year. I always catch the flu. You know there's about a 110% chance you're going to get it this year too. You talk yourself right into it. The reason I talk to you about demons getting cast out is because even demonized people have some control over their life. You have control over what you're going to say. You have control over what comes out of your mouth. Or you couldn't be held accountable for it if you didn't. We all have control over it. I don't know if I shared this with you. It seems like I may have shared this with you a couple of months back, but I loved, I love all the research on the, the ship, the Titanic. It went down in 1912. My wife loved the movie. But I like all the stuff where they, they send these little mini subs down. You know, I love that. Looking around. They treat it like a gravesite. They really won't hardly take anything away from it because they, you know, it's considered uh, uh, sacred. And so they pretty much leave it alone. But they go down and look at it. You know, it's really a cool thing. I, uh, I've, I've done a lot of study on it, personal study on it, through, the, through Internet searches and what have you. And found that there are two or three theories all that makes sense. One is this. The steel makers say that the formula for making the steel was changed, but it still wasn't their fault. The, the formula for making the steel made it a bit more brittle, which allowed it to split as it was going alongside that, that uh, iceberg. It sort of just opened it up like a can opener, which opened up all of those airtight compartments and it had many of them. That's why they thought it was unsinkable because surely normally you just get one, one hole in, a, in the side of a ship and only one or two of the uh, compartments would have been compromised and it would have sailed on. That's normally what happened if it was a puncture. But this, because it hit it at an angle, at a blow, it was just can opener, can, like a can opener, it just opened it up all the way down the side. Well, the steel manufacturer said that's the fault of the rivets. The rivets were too brittle, or not brittle, too soft. And, and when, that, when that tear started, well, the rivets would, would just break in two. It would just tear them apart. They blamed the rivet people. Well, the rivet guys said, no, it's the steel. The steel, was, they changed the formula of the steel, didn't tell us about it. We didn't change the formula of the rivets, and therefore the steel was too brittle, and it caused the rivets to break. The rivets were fine. So they blamed them, and they blamed them. Others blamed the captain because he believed it was an unsinkable ship. Others blamed the, the ship Carpathia, I think it was, that didn't, didn't, uh, didn't come to their aid. Uh, they thought, no, it's the Titanic. They're just testing the signal. There were a lot of theories about it. But I know why the thing sunk. I figured it out. Y'all don't seem all that excited. Maybe I'll just <laughs> tell you another day. I figured it out why the Titanic sunk. Anybody want to hear it? Yes. It's what they named it. Yeah. That was the problem. I looked that up too, who the Titans were. The dictionary says, hang on to this. The dictionary says, in Greek mythology, a race of giants banished to the underworld. We believed and therefore we spoke. A race of giants, maybe they should have looked the definition of what a titan was. Banished. Till it didn't even make a completion of its maiden voyage and the giant was banished to the underworld. 
faith is activated by your confession. What you say matters. What you say matters. Not only is faith activated that way, fear is activated that way. Everything's activated that way. And I want to finish with this verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. And I want you to talk, to talk to you just for a minute about how to stay in faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Could you get that one on the board, brother, or no? Yes, no? 2 Corinthians 5, look at that. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, you see it's in parentheses. That doesn't mean it's not in the original text. That means it's parenthetical. It, it is there. That means it's axiomatic in nature. Interpreting the Scriptures, most of the time when the Apostle Paul did his writing, he would take an axiom that's just understood that and an axiom is an eternal, overarching, applicable, every-time truth. Okay? This is an applicable, every-time truth. It's axiomatic in nature. That is, it, it's where we get our word axle. Everything revolves around certain truths of the Scripture. Seed time and harvest, walking by faith and not by sight. It's one of those truths. He sticks it in there in his discussion about our death, burial, and resurrection as we follow Christ. But he's, he's really using an axiomatic statement because this statement works everywhere. We walk by faith not by sight. I highly recommend that you memorize this. You can memorize it before you leave the building if you don't already have it. This is something you need to say to yourself. I don't know if you've ever had natural circumstances be discouraging to you, <laughs> if you've lived 15 minutes maybe. Natural circumstances are sometimes discouraging. This is something we have to tell ourselves on a regular basis. I walk by faith and not by what I see. I live by faith and not by what I see. I'm not going to let the doctor give me my future. I'm not going to let the banker tell me my future. I'm not going to let my employer tell me my future. I'm not going to let my employees tell me my future. I walk by faith, and I'm not going to let my mother-in-law tell me my future. I walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not going to let my kids dictate my future. I walk by faith and not by what I see. I'm not going to let the weather tell me my future on Sunday morning when I really want to put on another blanket. <laughs> I had to make up my mind I was coming to church today. 35 years ago, I made up my mind I was coming to church today. If you wait till Saturday night, you're going to choose not to go more often than you do. I made up my mind 35 years ago. Make up your mind and just stay in church. The opposite of faith, however, is not fear. I found this out. The opposite of faith is not fear. We've always said the opposite of faith is fear. No, no, not really. We say, well, the opposite of faith is unbelief. Here's the difference between doubt and unbelief. Everybody has doubts? The difference between doubt and unbelief, everybody has doubts. But it becomes unbelief when you talk about it. When you express your doubts with words, words carry creative power. God said, let there be light. And there, there was light. <laughs> you talk about your doubts, no sin to have a doubt. The devil's an expert in putting doubts in people's minds. What turns it into unbelief is how you talk. And the deadly part of unbelief is the word, the, part, the, the prefix to that word, un. That means you're undoing something. The un-cola took the brown out of the cola. Seven up, right? <laughs> Unconditional takes the conditions out. Unbelief takes the belief out. Whatever belief you had working, when you start talking, it takes you backwards in faith. Unless you're speaking faith, the substance of things hopeful. They go all the time, always fussing out there in the church world. I don't fuss about it, but out there in the church world they do. There's one group of the church that says, communion is a symbol only. It's just bread, it's just crackers and juice, that's all. The other side says, no, it's holy. Uh, 
you know, you know what I'm talking about, what I'm doing here? And they pray over it. They've got the cup, and it's all so holy. You've got to be real careful, you know, not to get one crumb on the floor because you just dropped Jesus' body on the floor, you know. They call it transubstantiation. It's the doctrine of transubstantiation. They believe that actually the, the cracker actually turns in, or the wafer actually turns into the body, the real physical body of Jesus. They believe that wine actually turns into the actual blood of Jesus in you. And there's this big fuss between the two church worlds about which one it is. They don't agree with them, and they don't agree with them. And, and they say that they're wrong, and they say they're wrong. And I say they're both right. They're both wrong. He's right about them, and they're right about them. <laughs> Praise God. You folks are sharp up here in Oklahoma. I have to explain it to the Texans. Uh, faith is the substance. Transubstantiation. You hear it? They're saying it turns into the substance. I don't need that. It is far more than a symbol. I don't need symbols. I need my faith at work when I receive communion. Because if I say it's the body of Jesus, my faith makes it the substance. If I say it's the blood of Jesus, my faith makes it the substance. That's all I need to know. Because my faith, my faith is the substance. Your faith is the substance of the things you hope for. Not the body and the blood. Not the bread and, and the, crack, uh, the wafer and the, and the juice. Hey, no, 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 no. That's not the substance. Your faith is the substance. It is what you say it is. Your words have this creative force. I don't want to go there except just to tell you the story. We won't turn there at all. But in Numbers chapter 13, God tells Moses, send 12 men up to spy out the land. They're coming up out of Egypt. He said, you send them up. By this, from that point, Israel is north of them. He says, send them up into the land to spy out the land. All right? Are you with me? Send 12, one from every tribe. Heads of the tribes. These are the best they have. Send them up there. And he did. They stayed 40 days spying out the land. Now get this. They come back, and 10 of them come back with what the Bible called an evil report. Two of them came back with a good report. 10 of them came back with an evil report. That is, they said the wrong thing. Two of them came back with a good report. That is, they said the right thing. 10 of them came back with the wrong thing said. Two of them came back saying the right thing. Now let's not forget, they had all seen the same thing. Which tells us that what they had seen could not have dictated what they said. What they said was not based on what they'd seen at all. What they said was based on what they believed about what they had seen. Ten of them didn't know that we walked by faith. And You see, I, the reason I say fear is not the opposite of faith and unbelief is not the opposite of faith because the Bible says really the opposite of faith is sight. The opposite of faith is sight because in sight's where fear gets in. Sight is where unbelief gets in. You start looking at your circumstances. How many of you have had some challenging circumstances that took God to, to work it out for you? Let me see your hand. See, this is, now I may not be the right preacher, but this is sure doggone the right message. This is the right message. By the way, if you're visiting here today, please do not judge this church on the basis of what you're hearing. They have a great pastor. They've got a really good preacher. Please come back and hear him sometime. Amen. The opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. You got to get like the little boy that went to school that day. He's sitting in class. The teacher said, little boy, what is your name? He said, my name's Superman. She said, no, <laughs> that's really cute and all, son, but I need to know who you are. Ma'am, I'm Superman. Hang, hang on, students. Gets right down his face. She said, no, son, you're cute. And I like the joke. But you're going to tell me who you are. And you're going to tell me right now. Or you're going to be in serious trouble. I said, okay, but you can't tell anybody. I'm Clark Kent. <laughs> I mean, 
Faith says you're convinced, praise God. Amen. <laughs> you got to be convinced. Even if, you're, <laughs> even if you're in the minority. Two out of 12, these were the best Israel had. Only two of them came back. God said to them, you're going to die in this wilderness. You're going to stay out here 40 years, a year for every day. You're up there developing that evil report. And you're all going to die. How many of you know they all did die? All but two. Two of them didn't die. Was it because they were genetically superior to the others? Was it because they ate better food than the others? Was it because they could run to Greg's pharmacy and get better medicines than the others? No, no. Why they why they survive? One reason. They came back saying the right thing. Saying the right thing. Come on, tell somebody, you better clean that speech up. You gotta clean that up. And I'm not talking about dirty talking, I'm just talking about saying things that are gonna take you the wrong direction. Just because you've always caught the flu, stop talking like that. Just because you've always, you've never, I've never won anything. I hear people say that. Somebody win a drawing. You know, say, look what I won at the drawing. I was at the REA meeting. We used to have these rural electric REA meetings. Y'all have those here? Over there in Love County, they had REA meetings. And you get a drawing. And, and people from my family would win every time. I don't know why. We just always won, you know, toasters and things like that. <laughs> that reminded <laughs> Remind me, somebody said, said, one of my students said, you like this, Israel. Students came up to me and said, Dr. Holler, Jesus said to the Apostle John, John, come forth and receive eternal life. He said, John came fifth and won a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. But it's always somebody. We'd show them our toaster that we won or our microwave oven that we won, and they'd say, they'd say, uh, I never have won anything. I just don't ever win anything like that. I don't ever? Really? This is what your future's holding. They don't hope for that, but their mouth speaks that, and that is the substance. Because your life will go in the direction of that which you truly believe, and what you really believe is dictated by what you constantly confess. That's why when we come initially to to the Lord he said it like this even to be saved he said that, it, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you shall be saved for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation what does Jesus mean the Lord is salvation. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for these gathered here, these disciples of Jesus, these who love the message of faith, these whose hearts reach out and take hold of it. I'm praying that these seeds will fall into good soil today and that you'll help these lovers of God, help them to become greater disciples with their words and to not only be a blessing to you and the kingdom, but that they will help pave a better road for their own futures, sow better seeds for the future of their own harvest. I'm asking now that you'll bless them with strength and deliverance in every area, that this word will make a difference in all aspects of their lives. And for those that are gathered here in the name of Jesus who have never received Christ, I pray that these words will fall into good soil as well to bring forth, to bring forth eternal life for them. With your heads bowed, I just want to ask, is there any, anyone here in this room today who has, who has yet to make Christ the, the center of your life and to call Him Lord, to receive salvation? It's a free gift to you because God so loved the world. See, He, he loves you. <laughs> he loved the world before you were ever born into this world. He saw you ahead of time. He had plans for you a long, long time ago, and He loves you. God doesn't just love you. He loves you enough that He wants you in His family. And friend, He'll take you just like you are. Stop letting the devil say, well, you can't live it. I'd, I'd be a Christian, but I can't live it. You stop that. Stop letting the devil say that to you. He'll take you just like you are. Jesus will take you just like you are. And He will clean you up. He will do the work in you. 
If you'll believe him today, if you'll say, Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you. I confess that you are Lord, turning from my sin, turning from my past, and I'm turning to you, Lord, today.